Welcome to Inside Ulster, the rugby podcast from the Bell Tale, with me, Neve Campbell, me, Jonathan Bradley, and me, Adam McKendrick. With expert analysis and special guests, let's kick off. Hello, and welcome to another packed pod of Inside Ulster. This week, Ulster's lost to Leinster, even with an extra man. Is this the same old Ulster? Did the referee make the right decisions with Keane Healy's red card? but also the lack of a sending off or any sort of card for James Lowe. And we'll also be previewing the squad's game against high-flying English side Sale in Manchester this Sunday afternoon and talking about just how important that match is. I'm Neve Campbell and as always, I'm joined by Belfast Telegraph rugby correspondent Jonathan Bradley and Belfast Telegraph sports reporter Adam McKendry. So Jonathan, Leinster 38 to 29 Ulster, Leinster's Keane Healy was given a red card after 20 minutes and Ulster still lost. I mean, was it just rubbish? <laughs> I don't know. The spread was 11 and a half and they lost by 11. Losing bonus point. you got to look at the positives in these things, Neve. <laughs> what do you think? You were there. Like, what was your overall summary of the performance? So, sorry, sorry. Before Johnny gives an answer, when did you become the positive one in this podcast? <laughs> well, I was being more facetious there than anything else, to be honest. But um, I, I think... There's a real temptation to point to past games against 14 men and obviously the Stormers semi-final, the Toulouse first leg, admittedly they won that game and the Munster game at the start of January and, and just say, you know, what? It, what is the issue here um, playing against 14 men, playing against teams with uh, with a red card? And while we are told frequently that it's very difficult, much more difficult than um, perhaps in other sports when the opposition is a man down um, to play against. I just, like, I think that's the crux of the issue. Whatever else people want to spite about uh, um, it being a mental block against Leinster, about um, this being intrinsic in Ulster's DNA, whatever, like, I mean, that's all rubbish. It's just the key to the issue is you were playing against 14 men. What did you not do to exploit that? And that's tactical. It's not about, uh, and we'll get on to this later, like it's not, oh, it's a bottle job. It's like, what tactically did you not do? Because it's so reductive to say that anything is just, oh, that's the character of the team. Oh, they're not winners. Because like, were they not winners whenever they won big games in the past? You know, whenever they came back to beat Edinburgh in a league semi-final, oh, are they not winners? It's just, it's complete nonsense. So, and you're not going to get any better thinking like that either. So for me, the big issue is not, oh, file this with all the other losses to Leinster where uh, we're questioning character. It's what did you do tactically wrong? And tactically in the second half, for me, they tried to play too much rugby. They got their kicking game wrong. And they didn't exploit where Leinster, basically Leinster offered up to them an area to exploit and tried to take away what Ulster were good at and Ulster didn't take what Leinster were giving them. That for me is the key. I think as well, just you talking about, you know, you can't just be reductive with the whole, oh, it's a mentality, you know, they just don't feel up to par whenever it's with Leinster. But um, like they'd gone eight years without beating them and then, you know, beat them just like a few months ago, um, 10 points. So Adam, do you think this is a seriously significant loss in terms of things? You know, is, is it just wholly to blame on, on McFarland and the management team for the tactics? 
Similarly to what we were saying last week, I don't think it's a significant loss necessarily in just the Leinster-Ulster rivalry kind of thing. I think it's just a, a significant loss because they got it so badly wrong. You know, you're sitting there 19 points up with an extra man. You are the team in the ascendancy and you managed to throw it away from there. Just tactically, it was a mistake. They got it wrong. I think they went too much into their shells in the second half. They sort of stopped playing. And we saw that in the in the Munster game as well, where they came back out after the second half and it was almost like, we've got this lead now. Um, they, were, they were almost trying to play not to lose as opposed to playing to try to win. I actually think they played too much. Sorry? I think they played too much. Uh, no, I, I I think there were I points where... they were trying they... to get out wide and like the way that Leinster were defending, like they used Jameson Gibson Park out wide anyway. So the extra man wasn't out there. Mm. The extra man was in the backfield. I... Sorry, the, the lack of a man, sorry, was in the backfield and they didn't kick well. You know, the box kicking wasn't working. It wasn't accurate enough. And they weren't kicking off 10, whether that was due to an injury from Burns or not. But the space that was there, they didn't exploit. They were play, trying to play rugby between their um, the edge of their own 22 and the halfway line. That's a bit that I don't understand. We have to factor in as well that Leinster are Leinster. You know, they were going to have a pushback, but I think it, it just, everything happened so quickly and Ulster just never quite responded as well. You know, we can't sit here and say Leinster weren't going to score in that second half. Ulster might have held them out, but you knew that Leinster were going to come out firing at the start of that second half because if they didn't get something on the board quickly in the second half, then Ulster were probably going to be able to hold on. Like, like even, bit... even with 14 men, you're right, Leinster were going to come out and they mm -hmm. were going to show something. But Ulster had the line out that slipped through Henderson's fingers to start the mm -hmm. second half. And they had the scrum just after Leinster had taken the lead in the twenty twenty or in the twenty two. Those were big chances to swing the momentum back, mm -hmm. and also never did that. Don't, don't, Leinster got the momentum and just that was it. Because Leinster didn't really make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Like Leinster played a really really good half of rugby plus another sort of two minutes. Like also let them in with because remember they were knocking the ball on. So Leinster had the two knock ons before that try to end the first half. So Ulster allowed them in. So that's the first mistake, allowing them in to score with the clock in their head in the first half. But then they never did anything to take that momentum back, and that's a big thing for me. Even that mall try before halftime, <laughs> you know, going up to challenge that line out, you're five metres out from your own line. You have the extra man in the backs, so if you manage to stop them all, theoretically you should be able to stop the backs as well. The second half maybe proves that point wrong, but at the time you should be in the mindset of we have the extra man in the back so if we stop them all we stop the immediate danger of the try so why are you going up to contest the line out on your own five meter line when you back your mall defense to hold any team out as we talked about last week how good Ulster's mall is their mall defense is quite good as well so no Dwayne Vermeulen no like Dwayne Vermeulen's a huge part of that mall defense and he wasn't on the pitch at the time so well then that to me signals an, a big issue as well if you're uh, anchoring your entire mall defense around one person, then you need better mall defense. Like if if Ulster think to themselves, we can't defend a mall here because Dwayne Vermeulen's not on the pitch, then that's a massive psychological problem. Well, I don't know what they were thinking. It's just, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. A, a huge part of Ulster's mall defense is Dwayne Vermeulen, and um, he wasn't on the pitch yet. 
I mean, the, the bottom line is Ulster got this tactically wrong. And I, I think more than mentally, and what Johnny was saying, more than mentally, I think tactically they'll go away and they'll look at this and they'll say, we got this badly wrong. Mentally, it will leave a scar. I'm not sure quite as big as what maybe a lot of people think it will. But for me, more concerning is the fact that not for the first time, Ulster have gone for a man up and they haven't worked out how to take advantage of it. I completely understand that it is tough to play with an extra man because there is that sort of added pressure of you should make the most of this. But this is a position that Ulster have been in multiple times and we have had this conversation multiple times. At some point, you've got to learn. There's There has got to be some kind of a a general blueprint of how to play with a man extra that you can apply to generally most teams. Well, talking about that and saying that was the turning point, for example, whenever Keane did get sent off, um, we've been talking about there's been a recent increase in red cards in the game as an attempt to prioritise um, player safety. Just touching on the actual cards, Jonathan, you know, do you think the, the right decision was made to send Healy off, first of all? And obviously you've got those sort of controversial... Um, you know, should he have gotten a yellow or a red later on? But just starting with Healy's. Yeah, no, uh, the Healy red card to me was a red card. I Like, I didn't see it in real time, I admit. <laughs> it was only whenever, um, and maybe other people were the same, whenever you saw the, the blood coming from Tom Stewart um, that you realised something was awry and then caught it on the replay rather than real time. Um, for me, like, Stewart comes from far enough away and I know, obviously, like the atmosphere in the RDS, as you would expect, um, did not think that was a red card. And certainly if that was a red card, thought James Hume should have been red carded as well. But the difference for me is that Ringrose stepped back, whereas Healy, I think, had a pretty decent line of sight from a fair amount of distance to get a bit lower. Like, I don't think there's any complaints with any of the cards that were shown, I think the main complaint has to be with the one that wasn't shown. Yeah. Um, which is going back to look at the the James Lowe incident and like obviously people who have relatively long-term memories will <laughs> look back at Andy Warwick's red card in this fixture in Belfast a few years ago and uh, wonder what the difference is there or perhaps even that the James Lowe incident to me um, looked more dangerous, and that's not just because of the uh, the result with uh, John Cooney obviously getting knocked out of the game. But I'm not saying it's malicious. I'm not saying there's intent there. It's very difficult to rule on intent. I will say that the whooping and hollering is nauseating. Um, again, you're not going to find out um, who exactly that came from, but. Um, a bizarre element of the game was uh, what seemed to be a celebration of uh, Cooney getting uh, absolutely smacked in the chops. Like it's, it's uncomfortable viewing because he was basically unconscious, you know, straight after it too. Yeah, like 100%. Like, so if we're saying that, fair enough, there is an element of rugby collisions, like that concept exists but you can't say it's not dangerous if somebody ends up yeah, knocked out. Yeah. So, like, to me, the arm is not into the body. It's out from the body and it extends out from the body and a player ends up getting an elbow in the face. So, 
it's dangerous. They didn't look at it. Well, hold, hold to on, my on. money for long enough on the TMO. Yeah. Which one thing that I think Ridley did really well was go through his thought process for the Hume decision and the Healy decision. And I think we needed to see that um, for the low incident as well. I mean, they they did refer it to the TMO, and the TMO said, "Don't really need to take a look at it. It's okay." But I think but, they did. They did need to take a yeah, look at no, it. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I agree with you. And I would have been I, interested to hear Ridley go through his thought process in the same way that um, I was. Sorry, I would have been interested to hear the officials go through their thought mm. process in the same way they did for the other incidents well, in the game. The the argument that they made was that the way Lowe was carrying was his arm was in a defensive position, which I completely disagree with. Like, Lowe very clearly puts his arm out. Like, if that's a defensive position, then it's giving guys free reign to go into any carry with their arms up. And then, of course, the arm makes contact with the, with the chin. So for, for me, it is a it's a red card. And I am surprised that... I'm surprised there wasn't more clamour on the pitch about it. I know uh, Henderson went and, and had a word with the referee, but I, w- I would have thought they would have maybe pushed a little bit more for, for it to be taken a look at. But I suppose whenever the TMO's made its decision, there's not really much more you can do. Well, think for anyone who didn't see it, because I actually have it up here now. Basically, Lowe is, is running at full speed at Cooney um, early in the second half and then he appears delayed with his elbow like you're saying Adam towards John Cooney who attempts to tackle him um, I saw one person put the replay on Twitter and said I'm not sure of this specific law but I'm fairly sure you can't go around smashing people in the face with your elbow even if you are carrying the ball um, and Adam I know like you and I even before we started recording had talked about if that was a big turning point in the game and you were saying not so much the fact that because Ulster lost momentum but it wasn't because there were disappointed that decision at low not getting sent off or reprimanded but more the fact that like, Cooney had to come off yeah I think the bigger loss was Cooney going off uh, as opposed to low staying on the pitch obviously low going off would have made a massive difference as well because uh, you know we lift don't you you're like oh some rub of the green something well, happened uh, yeah I mean obviously I mean, we did two- open the pod by saying Ulster can't play against 14 men, so uh, <laughs> who knows how 13 men they can one. play against 13 men now, obviously the uh the two-man advantage would have made a massive difference, but I think Ulster did just lose a bit of direction whenever Cooney went off. The box kicks started to come out a lot more whenever Nathan Doke came on. As Johnny said, they came out in weird places. You know, like box kicking into the 22, Leinster will take those kicks every day of the week. Like Hugo Keenan's one of the safest pair of hands under a high ball in world rugby. You stick those down his throat all night, he's going to call marks and it's uh, a free clearance for them. So... For me, yeah, that was the Cooney going off was the bigger loss because Ulster then just kind of, they just lost a bit of direction. I thought Doak's uh, distribution of the ball was just a little bit slower than Cooney's was. It just, w- whenever you're playing with an extra man, one of the things you want to do is keep the pace up. You want to, you know, be stretching guys across the pitch and that's where the gaps open up. And I just thought in the second half, Ulster didn't have that and that's, probably why for me the bigger loss was Cooney going off as opposed to Lowe staying on and then obviously Henderson going off too uh, is a big loss you lose your captain and uh, I, I know that one wasn't sort of a, a controversial one but losing him at that time so soon after losing Cooney as well I think those were the two blows that really flipped the momentum to Leinster if, if it hadn't already. 
What did you guys think just because that, that was Ian Henderson's sort of first return after his knee and hand injuries? Um, well, he, he came as a replacement against Zebra eight days ago, but this was like his first kind of any start since June. Um, Jonathan, how do you think he performed? I thought he played pretty well. Um, I don't think he was the best six on the pitch because Ryan Baird was. Um, but I think he certainly noticed whenever he went off in terms of the collisions. Like, it's really easy to say that this was a second half capitulation and it's really easy to point to the try at the end of the first half, which we alluded to. But the fact of the matter is there were nearly 20 minutes in that second half already gone by the time Leinster scored again. You know, the, the try was 58. Mm-hmm. You know, we were nearly into the fourth quarter of the game. And... So, uh, yeah, Cooney obviously was a loss. I think Henderson was a big loss. Um, Dwayne Vermeulen's probably coming in then at a time when, I suppose, if the game wasn't already gone, the momentum had certainly shifted. And you look, I suppose, to the selection in the first instance and Leinster have three of, for my money, now Ireland's first-choice front row to come off the bench. Uh, I know people can argue the thoughts between Kelleher and Sheehan, but... And I think that, that, you know, them coming on early in the second half, combined with Ulster losing Henderson, and um, it really just meant Leinster got on top of the physical exchanges as well. Um, The other thing is, too, like, Ulster, they're obviously going to be likely to be without Cooney um, for this Sunday's... A game against Seal there were an alarming number of injuries just like you touched on it there now as well Jonathan Ian Henderson Tom Stewart James Hume all leaving the game for similar issues is this something Adam do you think to be, to be worried about in the coming week Cooney's yes um, I think Ulster are a better team whenever they have Cooney available and I think that's been proven down the years obviously and Henderson as well I mean not even just from a from a this week perspective, but Henderson's been out for so long, you need to sort of get him back into the run of things. You know, Ulster don't want to have him back for a couple of games and he gets injured and he then heads off for the Six Nations and you don't see him again until April, March or April. Um, and especially whenever you have the Champions Cup format that you have now where it's only four pool games, you can't afford a week off, really. Otherwise, you put yourself in the back foot, especially if it's week one. If you lose week one, then you're already backed into a corner where you need to win probably all three of your, your remaining games to give yourself that best chance of getting a home knockout game or, or home advantage. Said, like, I know we talked about this last year with Claremont and then Ulster went and won in Claremont, True. but when, whenever you have an away game like that on the schedule, as Ulster do with La Rochelle away in January, your margin of error in the other games mm-hmm. becomes obviously smaller. Like with, with more teams making it into the knockouts, the margin for error is wider in terms of getting into the knockouts. But so you want home advantage in the knockouts, and that that means you know your your margin for error is so much smaller. So naturally, whenever it comes to these big games, you want all your big players available, and the fact that Ulster have come through, like it's. <laughs> There's nothing you can do, you know. Ulster weren't going to go into that Leinster game and go, well, we need to wrap all our guys in cotton. Well, that was still a big game. They still needed to win that game. 
I, I, I don't like there's no sort of blame attributed to Ulster or anything because they played these guys and now they're potentially not going to be available for Europe like that that's not the way you approach this and you can't approach any game that way because if you start wrapping guys in cotton wool in big games then you know you're you're really like setting a precedent going forward that we can't play guys in games and so that they're available for other games it, yeah. it just doesn't work that way um if they go into this week's game without I'd say Cooney and Henderson, they they can maybe shoulder the blow of Hume because he's still getting back up to speed. Um, but I think if they went in without Cooney or Henderson, they'd be significantly weakened compared to uh, compared to some of the other guys that they might have lost. We've touched on this a wee bit as well, Jonathan. I know you were writing in the Belfast Telegraph this week about um, you know, Ulster must lick their wounds and be ready for the biggest game of the season. And this is the European opener against Seal. Dan McFarland has said, you know, that they want to take their frustrations out about the loss against um, Leinster, you know, against against Seal on Sunday. But just like how, like if they, what's the scenario if they lose, if they win, like just how big is it from either option? I think it's massive, but to look at it from that point of view, I would say a win means more than a loss. If you get me, like a win is more emphatic yes, than a loss. Yes, yeah. a w- like a win could define their pool stage because you would expect them to win at home. So if they win one of the away games and win the two home games, then they're home in a boat in terms of uh, <laughs> qualification. They should be okay in terms of qualification just by winning the home games because as Adam mentioned, like, you know, eight from 12 is... Uh, things are weighted in your favour anyway. Um, but... To win away from home unless you then trip up at home. And as I said, La Rochelle is the one that you would look at and think if they're going to lose a game here, it's going to be that one. So I think the opener sets the tone in general. Like we've seen that year on year, the opener sets the tone. But if you win away from home in your opener and then you've still got the benefit of all your home games to come, it shifts the whole dynamic of how you're looking at the the pools because instead of, like Adam said, you're then looking at seeding rather than progression. What do you think, Adam, in terms of like, what is the key? What's the key to win or what's your predictions for Sunday? The key to win? Um, <laughs> You'd be sending a ladder have, to McFarlane, the boys, now I have it, I have the answer. Have all your players available? <laughs> um, I think probably it's getting over Saturday is probably the biggest thing for Ulster. I mean, obviously, you know, Sale are a very good opposition. They've started the season so well in England, and I think they've probably been one of the surprise packages, not just in England, but in European rugby this year, because I don't think anyone quite expected them to be this good. Mm-hmm. Um, are, they as good but, are they as good as second in the league suggests? Yeah, they have been. And all the reports that come from England, like I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say I, I haven't managed to watch them as much as I would have liked to this year. Um, but all the reports that you get from England is that this is a team that have just been consistently good for the start of the year. And you, you look at some of the guys that they have available, like Rafi Quirk, I think is a cracking wee nine. Um, and whenever you add them into the fact that you, you can use them in tandem with Joe Simpson, you got Dupree and Ford at fly half you know that they just have a lot of very good options like I, I wouldn't say they necessarily have a lot of standout players but they just have a lot of excellent options that mean they can 
rotate a lot of guys and they will event they'll inevitably have a, a decent team out no matter who they're playing like so even some of the lesser known guys that they've signed have been really good additions you know Tom O'Flaherty on the wing someone who was so good for Exeter just adding him into that mix you got the Currys in the back row they've got so many Dupreas they've they seem to find a new one every year and, and sign them Bevan Rod coming through Acker van der Merva at, uh, at Hooker and Ewan Ashman at Scotland International like they have so many good players it's just consistency for Ulster I think the two keys, one is getting over Saturday and sort of putting that behind them. I, uh, I, I'm i always interested like how teams approach per results. Do you put it behind you and just say, we condemn that to the past, don't touch it? Or do you like pour over it with a fine tooth comb and say, we're not making these mistakes again. This is where we fell down. This is where we got it wrong. So mentally that's sort of the first hurdle they have to get over and then they have to step up physically this week Seal have a very big pack and they sort of rely on that quite a lot so um, I think we saw that to a degree at the RDS I think Ulster's pack was good um, especially uh, uh, I thought uh, the mall for the start was good and then I think they just made the mistake of going up and contesting Um for the one before half time, but I thought for the most part they challenged Leinster's pack pretty well. If they can put in that effort again, maybe just a little bit more, I, I think they've got sales pack worked out. I'd like to answer your original question, Dave. Like we are talking about the team that's eighteenth favourites for this competition. Like they're fifty to one to win the competition. So second in England maybe doesn't mean what second in England used to mean. Like Saracens are contenders for this. Um do we think that Leicester are Harlequins are going to be without Marcus Smith? Like personally, and it is just personally, I only really view Saracens as the English team that's going to make a dent in, the, in this competition. Well, I, I wouldn't say that Sale are contenders, but in the context of Ulster are playing them this week, I think they are a dangerous team for Ulster to play this week. Do I do I think Sale are going to be there at? the end of the season, you know, in the semi-finals, maybe even the quarterfinals? Probably not. But I think it's an interesting game. I do, sorry, I do agree with you that it's an interesting game, but like I, looking at England and I suppose the way that the Premiership season is going and the way that Premiership teams have fared in this competition in recent years, I know obviously that the English teams have won it more recently than uh, than Irish teams have done, but we don't often see an awful lot of English teams going through to the knockouts in recent years. And it's because of, I suppose, one, the focus that they put on it, and two, the fact that the Premiership is now a very different type of rugby than European rugby tends to be. And I don't know if I rate this sale team as a million miles better than the English teams that Ulster have handled very well in recent years no uh, um, and I agree like Ulster should be winning this game on Sunday I don't even know if I would go that far but I just <laughs> well no I I would like I think if Ulster are the team that they consider themselves to be and I, I think there there is a degree of and I'm not trying to excuse the loss or the performance in any way shape or form 
But I think there is a danger that we start looking at this Leinster game as Ulster have suddenly become terrible. That That's not the case. They had a bad game. They got it tactically wrong. That second half was atrocious. But they are still a good team. They are still one of the best teams in the URC who came up against the best team in the URC and got taught a lesson in that second half. But they should be, if if they consider themselves challengers for silverware, which they should, then this is the kind of game that you have to win. If you're looking at this as a game that potentially we might not win, how are you looking at La Rochelle, who are the defending European champions, one of the best teams in France, have a ferocious home uh, crowd that back them and will be odds-on favourites to be one of the challengers again this season. If you don't think you can win this game, how do you go into... And I'm sorry, I'm not saying that Ulster don't think they can win this game, but if you don't go into this game thinking we should be winning this, you're going to be going into that La Rochelle game with your expectations even lower because of who they are. I just think so, it's a 50-50 game given the way Ulster played this season. Um, see for the stuff as well, Jonathan, like you had written about for all the stuff that Ulster did in the second half to allow Leinster back into things at the weekend... Um, like there should be attention devoted to what they didn't do as well. Is that something you think that that'll be really in the forefront of their mind? Because it is all about time and it's the fact that they had this sort of emphatic Leinster loss ahead of this this European opener. And um, Maybe if that hadn't happened, things would have been different. But do you think that like McFarland is going to change things up now given given that result and how they, they did play? I don't know how much change we'll see because I think not to the extent of when down first came in but I think he is probably relatively settled in the team that he wants to pick and I think you know five years into this I think he's relatively settled in what they're trying to do I think the Leinster loss is an outlier in terms of what they didn't do because what they did do in the first half was they were clinical you know Mm -hmm. if you look at the four visits you know four visits to the opposition 22 you had the red card and you had three tries and then what they stopped doing was taking their chances in the second half, which to me was as important as the fact that um, Leinster got such momentum behind them because to look at it another way, you can't concede 35 points if you score. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Sorry, you can't concede 35 unanswered points if you score at any point in the middle of that. It's obvious to say, but it's worth pointing out. So I, like, I don't think this is going to be the type of loss that... Um, shakes all sort of their core and you know we see three or four boys drop and we don't see them again until uh, the middle of Six Nations or anything like that or we see a radically different game plan I think it might just be a bit of a reality check I think maybe that's needed I'm not saying that anybody's coasting I'm not saying that anybody's been arrogant but there are definitely a number of players who for a variety of reasons are not playing as well as they played last season I think we maybe saw some of this in a different way last year with the Connacht game mm-hmm. where it was really just a, a loss where, again, for different reasons, but you're leaving the stadium thinking, what actually just happened? What yeah, and then, you know, you saw a response from that actually ironically by Ulster beating Leinster after that. So what Adam said, yeah, the, like the response is important, but I think the response is going to be it's almost a character test, the response. And that's not me going against what I said earlier about uh, people questioning Ulster's mental fragility or anything like that. I just think 
it's one of those weeks where it's like it is as much your response is as much about um how quickly you process what happened and how quickly you turn the page and yeah sale is a good barometer of that because sale is a big physical test like you have to meet the physical test before you do anything else with sale i think and yeah i mean it's just it's a it's a bit of perspective i think saturday was a terrible loss does it tell us anything about ulster that we didn't already think or know personally i don't believe so and it's just about what response you get after that i had a terrible sporting weekend from a reporting perspective because Ulster lost and the Belfast Giants lost two games at home. But I, I found it very interesting, the two responses from the two teams. Um, Ulster was a little bit more measured in terms of Dan was not happy, and rightly so, but he didn't quite go as far as to, you know, sort of really uh, criticise his team massively. <laughs> Whereas Adam Keefe for the Giants came out with a hundred great soundbites, you know, saying it was unacceptable. He didn't recognize his team. They were lifeless. There was a, a lot of quit in the, or he felt like they, they quit essentially on the bench. And interestingly, whenever I asked him, you know, what did you say in the locker room after the game? He said, I'll see you guys tomorrow and we're going to work hard. I'm interested to know, and we're, we're doing this podcast before, Ulster's uh, Ulster's media duties this week. I'm really interested to see what is their response. Like, how have they gone about it? Have they come back in and said, we're going to, you know, we don't need to say much. We just need to come back in and work hard. There's just that realisation. Have they gone over the game and they've analysed every little detail? You know, there's so many different ways that you can approach this. And it's different for different people. And this is where psychology becomes so important for for sports people. You know, as Johnny says, how quickly can you turn the page or how much should you hold on to something and use the frustration of that to uh, galvanize you for the week ahead? And I think it'll be interesting to see sort of the individual approaches this week because I think if Ulster put in another performance like that, you will see changes for the La Rochelle game the following week. I think there should be a sort of like, you know, sticking to the status quo. There was, you know, off week last week, but, you know, we're going to give you guys a chance to rectify things. If you have two weeks in a row where the performance is subpar, that's when you need to sort of look at it and go, we've got to change something here. I think what gets overlooked though, whenever people talk about Ulster and mental fragility and whatever is that the fact that Dan has been very good at getting responses after these results. Like, I don't know Adam Keefe. I don't follow ice hockey, so I can't really speak to that. How but, dare you? Um, there's an element of theatrics to what some coaches do after defeats like this. And I think it's, in a way, it can be playing to the gallery. Like, I don't know how many Spurs matches I watched and was like, well, at least Mourinho will come out and say something interesting. But if they just play like a drain again the next week, then who cares? You know, whereas what Dan, no matter what spin he puts on things in public, he has gotten responses. So I mentioned that Connick game, the next game might they beat Leinster. They lost to Ospreys, which was only a week after that. And then they went on the run in 
Europe, they lost a monster at home and you're sort of thinking they might actually struggle here to get good seating for the playoffs, but then they go away and beat Edinburgh. So another another layer to this of people saying Ulster can't win the big games is that whenever they have lost these big games, they've generally responded fairly well with the exception being the Toulouse game last year. Well, regardless of what does happen, and we'll have that media response uh, with Ulster and Dan McFarland later in the week, which you can read on the Belfast Telegraph website and in the paper. And you'll also be able to read the match report and analysis and reviews and everything else from Jonathan and Adam in the Belfast Telegraph as well. And Colour pieces from my like, weekend in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> have a good week and we'll catch you next Tuesday. Oh.